0: same theme. So how about chapter 15, verses 1 to 13?
1: We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failing of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproach of those who reproach you fell on me. For the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to be circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you, the Gentiles, and sing to your name. And again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, "The root of Jesse will come, even, even who arises to the rule of the Gentiles, and Him will the Gentiles, will the Gentiles hope? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope." Okay,
0: so. The strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please themselves. Strength is an obligation to help those who are weaker. Uh, we need to, to, to love and to la- let love govern the, our conduct as strong brethren. He says each of us ought to please his neighbor. I suspect he uses the word neighbor there to remind us love your neighbor as yourself. You know, your brother is who he's talking about, but but please him, love him for his good, for his education. So always be thinking about what's best for him. What's going to build him up? What's going to make him stronger? Even Christ didn't please himself. And he cites, the Psalm 69, I believe, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Uh, Christ didn't seek his own well-being. He, he suffered for others. And he he says parenthetically in verse 4, the Old Testament scriptures that he's quoting are for our instruction, so don't dismiss them lightly. Interesting. If you're you're coming to a, a, a point, and you want to use Jesus' conduct to illustrate that point, would you cite an Old Testament passage? You could have cited some event in Jesus' life. But it's interesting how much you learn about Jesus in the Old Testament. There are some very insightful things about Jesus' life and character that you can see in the Old Testament, maybe even better than you can see in the Gospels. It's remarkable. You start thinking about the qualities of Jesus in his life, then start looking at Old Testament passages and prophecies, and wow, they're really helpful. I mean, how many times at the Lord suffered Do you hear somebody maybe quote Isaiah 53? Not that you couldn't show some of those same principles in the New Testament, but Isaiah 53 is a great presentation of the sacrifice of Jesus. So he actually cites here an Old Testament passage to say Christ didn't please himself, Christ suffered for others. And no wonder the Old Testament is written for our instruction. The Old Testament has enduring value. Every once in a while, hopefully nobody here would be like this, but every once in a while there are people who think it's just not much value to study the Old Testament. Because after all, the New Testament was for us. Why bother with the Old Testament? Well, this passage says the Old Testament is written for our instruction and gives us hope. The fact that the New Testament is constantly quoting the Old Testament must mean that the New Testament writers thought there was a lot of value in the Old Testament. And and sometimes it's like uh, I've used this illustration before. What if Sandra wanted to share with me something that had been important to her back when she was younger, before she knew me? Let's say we were dating. She wanted to tell me something about her, something earlier in her life. I'm like, oh, Sandra, you know that's not important to me. You know I want to talk about what we're doing right now. You know what happened to you now, what would that tell you about my attitude toward her? You suppose she'd have married me if I'd have said that. You know? It would mean I don't care about you. I just care about us. Me. You know? And... do do I care about things God has done in the past? Am I interested in everything in his background? Everything in his relationship with people throughout the ages? If I love God, I I want to know everything God ever said or did. I'm very interested in that. I don't just want to know the rules for me or what's in it for me. I love God and care about him. So it's very important that we we constantly study the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And, And there's great principles and insights and lessons in the Old Testament. So he says in verse 5, May the God who gives you perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's praying that God will give them unity to be able to glorify them. God gives every good gift, everything worthwhile comes from God we ought to do everything according to Christ. He's our model. But it's interesting he says, I want you to be of the same mind, one accord, one voice, in this context. Because in this context, what do we know about these brethren? They didn't have the same understanding about eating meats and observing days. That one mind didn't mean they saw every issue the same way. That's that's an interesting thing. Unity does not require that agreement in every detail. I can love and accept and be unified in my brother. We can have the same mind to glorify God, even though I eat meat and you don't. Even though I believe in observing certain days and you don't. (coughs) So our goal is not that we have exactly the same understanding and opinion about every detail. Um, You know, we're not always going to understand every passage exactly the same way. There's all kinds of things that we're going to see differently, but we still unite to have the same mind, one accord, with one voice glorifying God. And of course, glorifying God is our ultimate purpose. That's what it's all about. We join together to glorify and honor our God. So he said, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God again I would say this means something at some level it's important for us to understand the need for mutual acceptance and we're accepting one another in the context of some differences of opinion and, and, and practice there's at least some area of, of needing to accept one another when we have different convictions and we do different things and, and, and so he's, he's pleading with them to do that He says Christ has become a servant to the circumcision and for the Gentiles. Now, I think the fact that he shows how Jesus is blessing Jews and Gentiles is an indication that the problems in Romans 14 were probably a Jew-Gentile issue. Jesus became a servant to the Jews to confirm the promises of the fathers, and he became a servant for the Gentiles to glorify God. And he proves all that by Old Testament citations. So Jesus was for the Jews, for the Gentiles. He became a Jew to bless the Gentiles. There shouldn't be any rivalry between Jew and Gentile. They ought to be able to work together. Jesus was the the Savior of the Jews, the Savior of the Gentiles. Together they glorify God. Um, And and, and do you have any Jew-Gentile issues in your churches? You know, I don't know that there is a ethnic Jew in the Church of Arkansas. There's not one that I know about. Virtually everybody I know is a Gentile. There are some Jews in Indianapolis. One of my best friends in in school was. But but there's a lot, and I don't know there's much issue between Jew and Gentile. So you know, but but back then, wow, that was a major divide. So, we, got, we have to apply that in the that are relevant to us. You know, think about the divisions. You know, what, what would be practical divisions today that we must unify together and join together and accept one another and glorify God? What if I said Republicans and Democrats? What if I said whites? And African-Americans. You know, what if I said rich and poor? You know, there's all kinds of divides that we face that are practical for us. And some of them are a little difficult to swallow. It's like, wow, I can accept a fellow Jew, but a Gentile? Or vice versa. We have to really think about what unites us, transcends those divisions. It doesn't matter what ethnicity we are, it doesn't matter our political affiliation, it doesn't matter our economic status. There's a lot of things that don't matter. In Christ, we unite together, one accord, one voice, glorifying God. It's really a beautiful thing when brethren unite together in spite of those superficial differences. I mean, we can't even go so far as to uh, unite UK and IU events in one church. We've done that in Barbados, remarkably. And uh, you know, it, it's—you think about it. I mean, the truth is, you look around. There are some very close similarities between many of us. There's a lot of differences. And if it weren't for the Lord, I doubt that most of us would even know each other or really have a whole lot in common with most of the other people here. The thing that unites us is this Christ. Our love for the Lord, our commitment to Him, and the more our commitment to Christ grows, the closer we become each other. Because the more the Lord means in all of our lives, the more we really have in common and the more we we join together. You know, you may have a very different personality from me, and very different background, and and very different other ways, but if Christ is so important to both of us, then we'll just draw closer and closer to each other. So he says in verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He concludes with a prayer that... Although God of hope will fill us with joy and peace in believing, and will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remarkable even here, he cites the power of the Holy Spirit as that which fills us with hope. I would again plead for us to work to see more the role of the Holy Spirit throughout the work, and give more even verbal credit to the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible does. The New Testament does. So we need to see the Holy Spirit's role more. To be more more biblical in how we speak. Alright, thoughts and comments through verse 13. Wow. wow. Amen. <laughs> we are going to pause and sing a little bit. And so Sean's going to read but if the Lord wills, I think we'll have the uh, year end study next year, December the 28th and the 30th. That would be on Monday through Wednesday. I am giving some thought to, I'd be interested in feedback on this. I've given some thought to doing Song of Solomon and Proverbs 1 to 9. So you might think about that, give me some feedback. Romans, um, Romans uh um, Really, we come to kind of a concluding-type section. Um, this is not like the final reading section, but it's kind of wrap-up and travel plans and things like that. So uh, a lot of you know good lessons in this. But somebody read 15 verses 14 to 21? Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren,
2: that you also are full of goodness... Filled with all knowledge, able to also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in, the wor- in word and word deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about to where come, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and so I have made it in my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced,
0: they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So in 14, Paul compliments their goodness, knowledge, ability to admonish each other. Paul is writing to them, but with respect. He understands the qualities that they have. Uh, he, he believes their excellent character will uh, lead them to, to follow what he's teaching, uh, so he, he speaks well of them, and he says he's written very boldly to them on some points because of that. He has—if you have a lot of confidence in somebody, you don't need to re- write timidly. You can write boldly. You can understand that they will have a good attitude toward what you're writing. Uh, and he writes this to remind them some things again. He considered this more of a reminder. For us, it's kind of new territory in some ways, but he considered this as a reminder. He says uh, that he has been given the grace from God to be a minister of Christ, to minister as a priest, the gospel, so that his offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. It's interesting that he saw himself kind as the priest, and his sacrifice was the Gentiles that he was bringing to the Lord and delivering over to the Lord. Uh, and since they're Gentiles, they're sort of within his scope of, of uh, the sphere of being the apostle of the Gentiles and uh so he's he's focused on on them and their qualities and he's writing them and and he says that he wouldn't presume in verse 18 to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me he doesn't brag about what other people have done he doesn't brag about his own achievements he brags about what Christ has done through him not what Christ has done through other people but the things that Christ has done uh through him and uh we must constantly remember that we're mere instruments of God uh, that that Christ is, uh, is using. Um, and, and so not brag on ourselves, but see what the Lord is doing in us. And he says, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So Paul's word... Has bring, been bringing about the obedience of the Gentiles. You remember chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 16, 26, bringing about the obedience of faith among the nations? That's what he's been doing. Stresses that again. Bringing them to the obedience that springs from faith. In the power of signs and wonders, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul has been given these credentials, these confirming signs to prove his uh credentials to speak from the Lord, and so that from Jerusalem, round about, as far as Illyricum, I fully preach the gospel of Christ. Now, I don't think that means that Paul has done all the preaching in all that area, but basically Paul has, what Paul's accomplished has has caused the gospel to be spread kind of around and throughout the territory from Jerusalem up to Illyricum. Anybody know where Illyricum is? Not a place we you're familiar with very much. Illyricum was a, a Roman province, basically from northern Albania up to Croatia. A lot of that area I grew up calling Yugoslavia back in the day. If you're old as I am, you remember that. If you're not, it's all those little things in there, all those little countries, Bosnia and Serbia and all that kind of stuff, up to Croatia. Now, I don't know, we don't know historically, like Acts, of Paul preaching up in Illyricum. He preached up to Macedonia, but if he went beyond that, we don't have that record in Acts. Now, that's not a shock. You know, it's not like Acts tells everywhere Paul went and everything he did. So it may well be that he preached up in Illyricum and it's not recorded in Acts. It's possible that he just means from Jerusalem up to Illyricum, and he's not actually saying he went up into there. Doesn't matter, but we're not sure what he means by that. But notice, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, those who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Now, Paul is not throwing off on the work of watering, Paul was the planter. Apollos was the waterer, he says in 1 Corinthians 3. There is a role for coming along and, and helping strengthen and edify and help grow new converts and help build them up. But that's not Paul's preferred role. Paul prefers to be a pioneer. He likes to uh, blaze the trail in virgin territories for the gospel. He 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 went to places where nobody heard of the Lord. That's, that, that was his yeah. preference. That was that that's what his his goal was to get to more and more places where the gospel had not been spread. You appreciate that attitude on the part of Paul because it's easy to want to be comfortable. I mean, honestly, it's so encouraging to be in an area of the country where there's so many brethren. I realize all of you don't live immediately around here, but 90% of you live within three hours of here, probably. 80 or 90%, probably 90%. And uh, many of you, probably 60%, live within, you know, an hour of here. Uh, There's a lot of brethren around here. It's very encouraging. and, and, And it's comfortable. But... And obviously not everybody needs to go to some place where the gospel has been preached much, but people do need to. There is there, there, there's a, a missionary zeal and enthusiasm and focus in the New Testament that I feel we don't have as much as we need. That that Paul just had a passion. He wanted to get the gospel spread where nobody heard or heard of it. There are a lot of places in the world today where the gospel has been very little preached. From everything we know. And where I don't know of anybody who's planning to go. You know, you think about all the Christians that there are in, in the U.S., and all the resources we have to send, and how few people are going to Sierra Leone, or the Ivory Coast, as Sean would like to do eventually, uh, or Southeast Asia, or Russia. Or Brazil, for that matter, where I spent three years and continued to go back. There's 200 and some million people and a handful of Christians. And, and on and on, Indonesia, which is one of the biggest countries most populated in the world, and almost none has been done that I know of or that we know about, and, and, and so forth and so I mean, China, India, you just go on and on. Some things have been done, but considering they're way over a billion people, virtually nothing, and for that matter, there are some places in the U.S. where so little has been done. And some have gone to some places, thank God. But more needs to be done, and we just have, need to have more vision of that. There needs to be more of an excitement to us. Maybe we can't go, but we can stand. Maybe we can't go or stand, but we can be praying earnestly for the gospel he's spread in those places. Maybe we can be encouraging those who can't go, encouraging young men who, who, who love the Lord to prepare themselves, not just to find a nice church in some suburban area where they can settle down and enjoy themselves, but to find a place where they can go and spread the gospel, pioneer new territories, you know, help new Christians or whatever. We just need to have more that desire, more that fire in us. And, and if, if that was more the culture... I, I think more people would want to go. More people would more people would get excited about that. And I'll tell you what, I mean, we our parents here. I think we need to want our children to go. We need to want them to, to go where the gospel hasn't been preached. In hard areas. In maybe in some that are not as affluent and there's more disease and there's more violence and there's more risk. But the gospel needs to be spread. I'll tell you what, Paul sure didn't have a picnic in places where he went. (laughs) You know, wow. It would be hard to imagine that there are many places in the world that were really ultimately as dangerous as what everywhere Paul seemed to go was. You know, how many times was he in danger of this, that, and the other thing? We've said good news 11 a few times. And wow, we are whims. And so, but but, but I just
1: appreciate Paul's passion and zeal for that. All right, thoughts and comments through twenty one. Right. So, the culture you're talking about um, having more evangelistic culture, like when you go overseas, like how would you recommend creating that kind of culture?
0: Well, we read the Bible. We see Paul's attitude. We see Jesus' attitude. We love lost people. We we evangelize ourselves. We, we, we want to see people brought to God. We talk it up. We pray it up. And we encourage people. You know, we, we start talking to people who might be able to go and start saying, you, you know, you ought to think about this. You know, and we just, we start developing a passion. Uh, I know for us in Barkersville, one of the things we've done is try to develop a stronger relationship with Sean and Abby with a goal to be able to participate significantly in sending them to Sierra Leone and with an intention of continuing with them for wherever they go in West Africa and and continuing to have a long-term relationship to be able to support them, not just financially, but to encourage them to pray for them and to try to develop a bond with them that we can be encouraging and helpful to them. You know, so that's just kind of become an objective of ours you know, here's, here's something we want to share in and be a part of. And, you know, so I think there's a lot of things. But I think it starts with us loving the Lord, loving lost souls, having a vision, having a zeal. It becomes contagious. You start talking about it. You start praying about it. You start encouraging people. You start involving yourself with, with those things. And eventually, it just changes our culture. Does that make sense? Thank you for the question. Other questions? All right, how about 22 to 33? Eric, yes. I have a question. Yes. I like verse 18 said I would not be to speak of anything except what crisis conferences to bring good household obedience. I think sometimes, like, um, I've witnessed this, I have witnesses, but I do myself, where uh, in conversation, after worship, you know, I'm conversating more about sports, you know, about other things rather than requests than doing in my life. I'm uh, you know, helping me with the gospel and helping others. Um, I think that the more that I'm Christ centered, the more that I'm
3: focused on speaking about what God has done, I think the more evangelistic I am. I think that's, that's something that we all should be. Good
0: point. Being more Christ centered, we talk more about the Lord. Yeah. Amen. 22 to 33.
3: This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helpful in my journey thereby, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to Where Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. But they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them for If the Gentiles have come to share their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you. all. Amen.
0: Okay. So he hasn't been able to come, he's been prevented from coming to them until this time. May be prevented by his the needs in other areas, but now that he's fully preached the gospel and confirmed the brethren from Jerusalem up to Illyricum, now he seems free to be able to come to Rome. That's what he's hoping to do, although he's got a prior mission. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he feels kind of the need to explain to them why he's not coming to Rome right away he uh, is hoping to go to Rome for sure, but he's going at the moment to Jerusalem serving the saints, where Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, and Paul is accompanying that collection. That was such a major project for Paul. In 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and here, Acts twenty four seventeen, there are references to how Paul from Galatia, Macedonia, and Achaia, was encouraging Christians to set aside funds and send them with delegates, with with funds, to go with him to Jerusalem to provide for the needs of the Jerusalem Christians. And he felt like it was important and proper that the Gentiles, who had been blessed spiritually by the Jews, would share with the Jews materially. That was an important aspect, maybe even, of the Jew-Gentile relationship, that the Jewish brethren need to see that the Gentile Christians were eager to share with them their material blessings. And uh, he wanted to personally accompany that collection as well, to see to it that it was well received uh, by the brethren. Then, after he had gone with the collection to Jerusalem, his hope was to come to Rome. He wanted to come to Rome to be a blessing and to be blessed by them, enjoy their company for a while. But his hope was to, from Rome, be sent on his way to Spain. He wanted them to help him with whatever he needed in order to get to Spain. And uh, that was kind of his pattern, you remember. He didn't like to stay where the gospel had already been preached. He wanted to pioneer new territories. And that, I assume, Spain was that for him that he saw that Spain was a place where the gospel hadn't been spread yet and needed to be, so he wanted to come to Rome and from there go on to Spain. We don't know if he ever got to Spain. I hope so, but I don't know that he did. If he didn't, I I trust that the Lord had someone else he sent there. Uh, But you appreciate, you know, wow, if you were Paul, we've gone through the three missionary journeys, I don't know if you looked at it that way, but we see that, I and mean, he went a lot, traveled a lot, but through a lot and he I mean, he had a lot of brethren on his mind, a ton of brethren on his prayer list, you know he was he was working on you know in various Roman provinces, uh, you know Galatia and Asia and Macedonia and Achaia, we know especially in those, and uh, with churches all over the place, but he was not this kind of guy that says, you know, I think I've pretty well, you know, gone where I can. I I just need to kind of settle in now. You know, let the younger guys take over or whatever. That wasn't what he was doing. You know, he was planning to go on to Spain if if possible. Um, And so he's requesting prayers. He said, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. There's really a lot in that verse. He, he's urging us by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Isn't that an interesting phrase? I, I, again, one of the things that has struck me is how much, I, I, you know, there are certain things in verses you just don't see. I've seen so little the role of the Spirit. Why would he say the love of the Spirit? Well, for one thing. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit is love. So, the Spirit produces love. That would be the result of the Spirit dwelling in us. The result of the Spirit pouring the love of God into our hearts in 5 5. And so, it's the he's, he's urging us by Jesus and by the love that has been promoted and, 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 and fostered in us by the Holy Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. He doesn't say, Pray for me. He said, I want you to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. I mean, that is really kind of an odd expression, to strive in your prayers. I mean, what about prayer that is strifeful? I mean, that usually indicate almost like, you know, a warfare, or maybe, uh, you know, a great exertion. You know, I mean, prayer doesn't take that much. I mean, you know, even if you say it, you don't just think it. You know, it doesn't really take a lot of energy to move your mouth, and we can all talk rather calmly. So he's indicating an intensity, an earnestness in prayer that I like. You know, we say our prayers. Do we pray? He wants them to pray with with earnestness, to pray intensely. Now, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. We need more fervor in our pray. Strive together with me in your prayers that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. So he wants to... He's he's asking that he be delivered from the disobedient in Jerusalem. How did that one go? Well, I'm going to say, well, he was delivered from the disobedient in Judea. You know who delivered him? Claudius Lysias, the Roman commander. If it had been for him, he would have been torn limb from limb by that riotous crowd there at the temple, Right? Now, he was arrested, but that was such a blessing to him. And uh, Lysias managed to get him carted off to Caesarea before those Jews that were fasting managed to get their hands on him and kill him. And, uh, you know, they kept him in prison in Caesarea, which probably really turned out to be a blessing. I don't know if they'd let him go in there, if the Jews wouldn't have gotten hold of him and killed him. Finally, they forced him to repeal the Caesar, but that turned out to be a blessing, too. He got to go to Roman government expense. A little tumultuous trip, but he got there. You know, I mean, you, you appreciate that. I mean, so he wasn't not probably rescued from the disobedient Judea quite like he thought he would be, but I'd say he was. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the Jews, I assume, accepted the contribution. We can't see that for sure, but I doubt that there'd be all these references in these books if they hadn't. So I'm assuming that they they did accept that, and uh, and and he was able to come to them by the will of God. Not quite on this time Jake, but he did come. And it was by the will of God. Um, you know, he had been in prison for some years before he got to go, but uh, he did. And uh, so I hope these brethren really listen to Paul. And their fervent prayers were part of why all this ultimately worked out for Paul to be able to come to Rome like he wanted to. Uh, questions and comments? Thoughts on this.
2: Why? He wasn't what he wanted, it was the way God intended it. Sure. See, so our will is not the same as God's will. God has a plan. I Man, that make it in the long run? I picture that Paul thinking, what in the world is going on? I was in issues, I'm good stuff. This not how I intended things to happen. So the fact that he has such faith, even in a certain he can sort of use that in front of his gospel. Sure. So, right. so
0: God knows more than we do, it. We sit yeah. and we still there very you,
1: other thoughts comments questions awesome. this, this word strive, Paul says in Colossians struggling and I think for me personally and maybe this is practically at Bargersville we've been studying prayer so much lately but we are so in the moment right I can text somebody and I can ask them something to, to do for me to pray, to pray about something and those are all good but I think about this time frame that communication would have been such a, a long extended thing that you would have been earnestly struggling and striving to pray for your brother and sister because you may not know the outcome. You may you may never understand that God did answer that prayer in the way that you were praying for it or or in his way, certainly. But but I think if we would think in, a, in terms like that that we're not just going to, to get the answer, but we really need to strive and struggle so that the Lord's will is done as we're praying for one another, as, as we depart here today, continue to pray and strive for one another in, in our prayers, you know, knowing that God is going to answer them for His good, but we may not always know what that answer is. Mm-hmm.
0: We need to pray then more energetically, more intensely, more fervently. And see the importance of praying for our brother. Other thoughts. 16, 1 to 5.